We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, could please leave us a rating and review. We would greatly appreciate that, especially if you like the podcast that uh, really supports the work that we're doing here each and every day throughout the week, all season long. Uh, we've got a few topics to get to today. Two preseason games from week three in the books. The Seahawks and Cowboys are the first of the two that we're going to talk about. Tony Romo, Mario, hurt while scrambling and attempting to slide. Uh, he got hit in the back. Eventually tried to lobby his way back into the game, but the Cowboys have 
have been all too familiar with the uh, big injuries for Tony Romo in recent years, so they obviously decided to hold him back. No indication that he's going to miss time once the regular season begins, but we got to see a little more Dak Prescott again last night, and it wasn't bad. 17 for 23, 116 yards and a TD. Uh, As Romo goes, I mean, he's still taking him as a viable QB2 if you wait the quarterback position and just pairing him up with somebody who doesn't have quite the same durability problems. I mean, he makes sense as a low end uh, quarterback to investment just because it's if he is if he does miraculously stay healthy, it's pretty plausible that he finishes top 12 at the position. But uh, the plausibility of him staying healthy more than 12 games doesn't appear to be all that significant these days. So, yeah. Uh, but that, with that said, it's like in, in theory, your backup is is largely just like a matchup and like bye week guy anyway, rather than someone you really need to be a viable option for any of all 16 weeks. So he, he, he can work as a backup. It's just like, um, you know, obviously there's this possibility that if your other starter gets hurt, then you have to go to a third option one way or another. Yeah. Just based on the way Romo has been getting destroyed on a seemingly regular basis in recent years, we saw the highly anticipated debut of Ezekiel Elliott, seven carries, 48 yards, looked good in pass protection, had the spin move that ran over Cam Chancellor. That, of course, uh, a much tweeted clip from last night. Uh, that was after Cam got him on a, a failed like dump off. Chancellor kind of hit him a little after the play. It was it was borderline dirty. I mean, not necessarily. Seahawks are dirty. Yeah, it, it was it, it, He's yes. not KJ Wright, but he's he's still he's still you know they're oh. they're dirty. Zeke got his revenge nonetheless. Seven for forty eight on the ground, very effective. And I mean, if he's a three down back behind that offensive line, you've said it before. the The ceiling is that he could be the number one overall back and maybe even the number one overall pick in drafts in twenty seventeen. Yeah, I, I'm going with David johnson and unless we hear something new about that domestic violence allegation but um yeah if if zeke can play 16 games i i I see no reason why he can't finish first among running backs because the skill set is there uh the offensive line couldn't be better the 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 situation itself is couldn't really even be more favorable the only way it could be more favorable is if you put in like Aaron Rodgers at quarterback instead of Tony Romo and thus, you know, assured uh, more red zone carries. Um, but basically he's, there's, there's no reason he can't be a 2000 yards from scrimmage, just like 16 touchdown player this year. Yeah. It, all the pieces uh, appear to be there as far as the team context goes and the skill set for Ezekiel Elliott in year one on the Seahawks side of this game, Russell Wilson looking sharp in what could be his final preseason tune up 16 for 21 192 yards, a couple TDs as well. One of those going to Tyler Lockett. The value of Tyler Lockett, I mean, the price has been going up. Is it warranted? Does he belong? Is he the guy that emerges to be the number one receiver this year? I mean, could you see him overtaking Doug Baldwin, given what he can do as a downfield threat with a quarterback that has the arm strength to find him downfield? I don't know why, but they seem to prefer uh, Jermaine Curse and Doug Baldwin as the top two receivers and i don't know if that's for run blocking considerations that would make sense because tyler lockett is pretty tiny really thin for for a receiver but uh yeah that's the thing like he he isn't necessarily going to have enough of a snap and target count to put up the volume that someone of his ability otherwise would be able to so i feel like a lot of people are just looking at like oh what he's capable of and we we know that the seahawks are stubbornly run heavy 
and they're just stubborn about whatever it is that they do on offense. So I don't expect them to break form just to, you know, create this opening for Tyler Lockett that we all want to see. Like it didn't happen for Jimmy Graham. It didn't happen for Lockett last year. Like he was good. Um, but he had to, he had to be amazing just to get into that like 600 yard role. Um, I don't think Hurst or Baldwin are going to go away enough for him to go safely over a thousand yards, but like I'm, I'm expecting him to have something like a thousand yards and like between eight and 12 touchdowns. I don't really see the ceiling scenario for him. Like I don't see him going wild. Um, but that said, I, I think his floor is pretty high just because he's so good. And because Russell Wilson's so good. I think we under underrate what Russell Wilson, not you and I necessarily, but people in general still maybe are pricing him lower than they should with respect to where Andrew Luck goes in drafts. And uh, with Wilson, you get the mobility. He can still run when he needs to, uh, but he has the ability to throw on the run, the arm strength I mentioned before, the accuracy, the decision-making, it's all very good or yeah. better across the board. And I don't know. I think the, the other thing that might work in Wilson's favor this year is not only does he have the trust of the coaching staff more so now than he did at the beginning of his career, the running game might not be the same without Marshawn Lynch. We've got Thomas Rawls coming off the ankle injury. Kristen Michaels had a great preseason. We talked about him a lot on the XM show. I mean, yesterday, seven carries for 58 yards. But is this running game, if it takes a step back, going to open up more opportunities for Wilson? Because if that happens, Wilson maybe does belong ahead of a guy like Luck. Um, yeah, it's I don't know how to evaluate them in fantasy terms just because, you know, the the situation isn't ideal for Wilson. Like he's, he's in a team that stubbornly is, wants to be run heavy, even though it's in their interest to give Russell Wilson basically as many attempts as he can fit into a game. Um, the Colts obviously gave a lot more pass attempt volume to look the last time he played a full season. Um, I'm not, I haven't ended up with either. I've, I've ended up with Mariota and Winston in like every single draft I've done. Um, but it, between those, so between those two, I haven't thought very specifically, in terms of just their skill level, I would say Wilson's the second best quarterback in the league behind Rodgers and ahead of Luck, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, if they're if they were in equal situations, I do think Wilson would be better. Let's move on to the Dolphins and Falcons. Falcons running game didn't get much going, but they didn't really get many opportunities to do that. Uh, eight carries for 14 yards combined for Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Probably not indicative of any sort of shortcomings on the offensive line or anything along those lines. Julio got a little dinged up in this one, left early with an ankle injury, but he could be back at practice as soon as Sunday. Is there anybody else among their pass catchers that you want to have in any scenario? I mean, Mohamed Sanu might benefit from attention that Julio Jones draws in close, but I just don't feel like the volume is going to be there most weeks for Sanu to be a re- like a reliable season-long option, uh, even as like a bi-week replacement. I feel like you'd be more apt to stream him off the waiver wire than to sit back and wait for the one or two opportunities where you have to use him. Yeah, I don't think there's much upside with him. And I think where he would be most useful is PPR because I, I don't think he is explosive enough. Uh, I don't think the the Falcons will score enough times for him to realistically go over like six touchdowns from scrimmage. So in that case, I can see him getting decent volume. I just don't see the efficiency and I don't see the explosiveness. So I'm not interested in Sanu outside of like wide receiver five PPR type kind of thing. Yeah, that's probably the extent of his value. I think the way I'm looking at him right now, too, uh, it's too bad because if the Falcons had a more credible option, even if it were a tight end, I feel like that would give Julio Jones a better chance to getting to that 10 to 12 TD range. I think, as you pointed out in the XM show, when you're in the red zone, the field is smaller. If the field is smaller and you roll three guys at Julio Jones, 
there's a lot less room for him to work. Yeah, definitely. And it's, uh, you know, you, you get the, the way you create, uh, being open, you know, openness in a smaller field is by create getting, you know, distance in the other plane going upward and height and having weight to push them away from you. So Julio does fine in that aspect, but three people, two people every time makes it hard. Um, and I, Sanu can't create any separation. He's, he barely broke the four, seven plane when he was, um, running at the combine. So yeah, I, I would, I really wanted them to, uh, I really wanted them to go after Will Fuller in the draft. Cause if, if they had him in that offense, taking the top off the defense, it would be so tough to stop. Uh, I mean, Julio, Julio would, would obviously be the top concern either way, but at least they would get teams to pay for putting three people on them or whatever. Um, but anyway, it, they didn't add any personnel at receiver to do that. So I, I, I think it's going to be the, it's going to be an exact replay of last year. Yeah, I mean, just an underwhelming offense uh, based on the personnel decision-making they have in the front office. They just don't seem to ever make that extra move that puts them over the top, and they have the pieces there where they could have one of the best offenses in the league if they had that extra secondary cast. They didn't think about fit. They just looked at, like, oh, we need another receiver. Muhammad Sanu had this many yards last year. That'll do it. And they didn't think about, like, how does this guy get his yards? What is what does he mean for the rest of the offense? And in terms of fit, I don't think they could have found someone much worse than Sanu. He was the exact opposite of what they needed, which was just someone to push back the safeties. Yeah, I think that's that's the problem, really, when you look at the way Atlanta is built. Now, looking at Miami, we saw Arian Foster get into the end zone as far as the output went. Didn't make a noticeable difference compared to Jay Ajayi as a runner. Both backs caught passes. I keep trying to figure out this offense and how this backfield is going to work in particular. I mean, if it's 60, 40 Foster, that might be his best chance of actually avoiding the injuries that have really plagued him throughout his career. Yeah. I, I don't know what to expect either. Everybody was making it sound like Arian Foster was so drastically outperforming him in which case it's like, why is Ajayi starting at this point in the preseason? I guess, I guess it could be like an even split, but if, if Foster's healthy, you would think that, they'd have a hard time rationalizing keeping a on the field. So I, I drafted Foster in the sixth round of that NFFC draft that I did the other day. It's the only time I've owned him so far this year because it's just normally not someone I run into, but I had a uh, Ryan Matthews and uh, Doug Martin at that point, And I was, I kind of was like, eh, I might as well keep going with these like theoretically high upside injury guys. And if one out of the three is left standing, I can probably survive and, that was my approach, but uh, it's it's not as if I view him as a solid commodity in any sense. Yeah, I think there's a pretty clear limitations on what you know Arian Foster can be when you think about this Miami offense and the presence of J.J. If a Jai were to get hurt, you could see them almost force feed Foster more than they should. So I guess there's there's that window, but yeah, it's not for his best interest, I would say at this stage of his career, uh, Ryan Tannehill at 20 of 29 in this one, 155 yards did throw a pick uh, two carries, 22 yards. Are you buying him as sort of a, a post hype breakout? I mean, I didn't like him last year when the masses thought he was going to take that big step, but I kind of like him more now because you have another year of experience for Devonte Parker. Jarvis Landry is not a game breaker, but he's at least a viable option to move the chains maybe the running game is actually just as good as it was last year. It's at least possible not taking a massive step back, but the big X factor is Adam Gaze as the head coach being such an upgrade over Joe Philbin and Dan Campbell. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a high opinion of Tannehill, but it doesn't really matter. I think 
he is a part of this big group of that like bottom quarterback two tier that I think is a totally safe, smart investment just because the, the acquisition cost is so low and yet you're getting a reliably replacement level option in that replacement level. I don't think is drastically lower than a lot of the, the quarterbacks who for some reason are actually valued. Um, so I, I don't think highly of him, but I don't think highly of many of those quarterbacks in that range, but I find them useful for fantasy all the same, just because the acquisition cost is zero. And I just think the smart strategy in general with quarterbacks and fantasy season long football is to get low acquisition cost quarterbacks and then rotate them according to matchup because it's too many times you see like there'd be like Brian Hoyer top five fantasy quarterback this week and good thing you drafted you know Ben Roethlisberger in the eighth round and started him so he could go against a, a defense that was only marginally tougher than the Hoyer one but it's just game script matters a lot and and uh, yeah, like if, if you're going against a bad defense as a bad quarterback, you're more likely to produce than a good quarterback against a good defense. So it's a sad reality because the bad defenses tend to be, uh, like if you're looking at it proportionally speaking, the bad defenses are worse than the good defenses. The elite defenses are good. Like even, yeah. even though the elite defenses are legitimately better than others, that gap is not as wide as the gap between like the saints defense most years and the next tier of bad defenses. And there's this, there's this threshold. I don't know where it is exactly, but once the defense reaches like a certain quality level, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is going against it. Like a defense, like normally the best defense in the league will almost always have like a significant advantage over the best quarterback. Like the best defense can shut down the best quarterback. You almost never see the best quarterback do very well against a great defense. Um, But again, you often do see bad quarterbacks do well against bad defenses. So it's, it's just easier to maximize your returns and your draft slots because it's like, what, what does it mean when you take like a Cam Newton in the fifth round and you have to bench him against the Seahawks to, to because of your projections say that you're, 14th round backup has a better matchup this week like that's not a good use of your fifth pick you want someone who can play every week so yeah I, that's how i've approached it I, d- I did end up with cam newton in that one uh serious uh mfl 10 we did because of the clock ran out on me um but uh otherwise I'm, i've basically been like mariota winston uh robert griffin in like almost every one of my drafts yeah, I, I keep looking at Winston as a player. I'm waiting for the helium to come, and it just hasn't happened yet with his uh, draft day price, really, in any of the leagues that I've been in. Nobody ever gets in their car thinking, I'm drunk, I'm driving, and I'm going to kill someone tonight. They might think, I've had a few drinks, but I'm okay to drive, or I only live a few minutes from here, or I've gotten away with this plenty of times before. And they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone. Thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year. It's better to be safe than sorry. Download the free Safe Rider app to help you call a taxi or send a friend your location when you've been drinking. Drive sober or get pulled over. Let's take a look at some top headlines here as we move through our Friday episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, AJ Green has said he is prepared to miss a game for the birth of his first child if it happens to fall on a game day, I know this is going to draw out the absolute worst hot takes in sports mm. media as this story Do your job. makes the rounds. Do your job. You're a millionaire. Get out there and play. It's easy. You're a football player. Children. Like all, all those stupid Championships takes. are harder to get. The, the, the idiot takes 
I've probably been flowing throughout the morning. I try to really hide myself from the idiot takes. This is exactly why America is declining because of these pampered athletes like AJ Green <laughs> being there for their children's births when they should be at work like I would be if my son were being born far away. They should be at work risking long-term brain damage instead of witnessing the birth of their first child. Yeah, that's that's exactly that's that's how America became great in the first place. Let's let's get let's get back to that. No, but like a one in seven chance essentially that he would miss a game. And even if even if the birth of his first child happened on a game day, if it's a home game, it could be at night after the game. So he could water boy it. He could he could <laughs> he could just show up at halftime and you know get three second half touchdowns. It, it's if there's any sort of there's not even a reasonable adjustment on this. It's like okay, well now we're aware of this. I'd actually rather know this was a possibility going into the year than to just not have any idea than have him get randomly scratched right. like 30 minutes know, before kickoff. Do we even know that there aren't other players that this could apply to that just haven't announced it? Like, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's the just, least actionable info possible, really. It's part of like a cultural shift. We're seeing it in, in MLB with the paternity list. That, of course, brought out the hot takes when Matt Carpenter missed a few days this season uh, for the birth of one of his kids. It, it was just... Look, man, because the industry that I work in has failed to unionize and and secure paternity and maternity leave i think everybody else should have to only see their children three days a year as well (laughs) it's only fair it's only it's only fair it's the way it should work so no downgrades here for aj green just something on your radar if you're an aj green owner by aj green the the due date is late september again that's an inexact science so that could be early october that could be two weeks before that who who knows it could be the other 21 hours of that Sunday. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the game could be at one Eastern and at four 15 and the birth could happen at 1130 and he could just do both. Like that could happen. That'd be amazing and uneventful. So anyway, it's on the radar. Uh, John Brown left practice early Thursday, missed Wednesday with a headache. And you have to wonder if that concussion that slowed him last week still is the root cause of his absence right now, because this just seems to correlate perfectly with a setback. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it's, it's again, information that's hard to act on, but uh, I guess it bears monitoring, which I don't know what else there is to do though. Um, probably can't really let it change the draft stock too much. I've, I don't have any shares of John Brown, just like I don't have any shares of the other Arizona receivers just because I don't feel like, any of their price tags have factored in the volatility risk that each of them carries. Uh, obviously, like Floyd, you have the injury concerns anyway, but any of the three are, are capable of having a dud in any given week because the three of them all doing well at once just isn't a likely outcome. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't let this particular thing really affect my outlook on Brown, at least not unless we hear something new. Yeah, that's that's probably the best way to go about it. I've been staying away from the Arizona receivers, too, for that that reason. I just I can't figure out how they're going to use each of those three guys in a particular game. And they've got other deep threats they mix in as well. And J.J. Nelson among them just occasionally making big plays. And yeah, the thing about them is like you're paying a price with which you need them to start every week. But by them starting every week, you're guaranteeing that you're going to have certain dud outcomes that other receivers just don't have the same. They have like the same risk of it happening generally, but it's not guaranteed to happen like it is with these three because that I uh, like the three of them again, having huge games all at once is just, it's, it's like might happen two times out of 16 games, something like that. And that's not the same, like the other receivers in that range, uh, 
you know, relative to where you could otherwise pick around from like Floyd and Brown are going, they don't have that guarantee of it occurring. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's that. And it's like, I feel like that nature of them puts them into a category where you do consider benching them for a week or two when like the cost you're paying is that of an every week starter. And you'll, you'll one week be like, Hmm, this, this, this guy who I thought was my fourth receiver has a nice matchup this week. Maybe I should put him in for Floyd. If you have to even introduce that question, you're also upping the probability that you just get a dud in the form of them just not being on your roster. So, uh, sorry, not roster, but in your starting lineup. So I don't think, I feel like they're just too expensive for the amount of uncertainty that they bring. If like each of them was going around later than they are, I'd probably own some of them by now but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen for me yeah you're going to end up second guessing yourself especially with a guy like floyd who's never he's been like be high volume like guy. seven weeks yeah that's that's the other downside that you, you have to deal with and it's just it's not a fun place to be some good news for the cardinals receiving core uh, larry fitzgerald appears to be making progress back toward full health he's been slow i believe by like a minor knee injury recently he was back in pads before Thursday's practice. Uh, Ladarius Green still seems to be in a holding pattern, but at least he's acknowledging that he's in a holding pattern, uh, saying that his ankle rehab is going very slow. That's I, that's as much as we've got on Ladarius Green. I hate the Chargers for not giving this guy playing time when it seemed like he actually could play. Because like, right now, I think it's like we got to wonder, like, is this guy just done? It sucks. Because he, 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 sh- he should have been a beast. He should have had a couple Jimmy Graham years. Yeah, it seems like the uh, well, the timing it's unfortunate because Antonio Gates proved to have something left in the tank oh, yeah. too. So that was just they just wrong they place, wrong they time. Should have, they should have played him at receiver if need be instead of doing whatever it was that they were doing at receiver before Keenan Allen came along, Eddie Royal or some garbage. Yeah, they they definitely had the need at times while Ladarius Green was there. So no no real news to pass along there. He's just stuck. Uh, Jeremy Langford was a full participant in practice Thursday. He got dinged up, hurt his ankle uh, last week, but he seems like he'll be fine as the Bears go into their third preseason game. And Langford, of course, will open the year as the starter in Chicago. You've been fading him. I don't have him anywhere yet. There's a little more of a buzz about him right now because he's having a good preseason, statistically, most specifically his second preseason performance against New England. And there's not a lot of competition there, but could this be like a, a Zach Stacy situation where – He's got the job all year. He accumulates, but it's like three and a half or 3.7 yards per carry and just not a lot of TD output because the offense struggles. Sorry, this is Langford you're talking about? Yeah, Langford. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not so worried about the touchdowns. Like, I think, I think the Bears will be just painfully average in a lot of ways. So I don't, I don't think that's what's uniquely worrying about Langford to me. It's, I'm worried about the skill set. I'm worried about not, getting the not taking advantage of the opportunities that are there um and eventually like i i, I know langford looked good in the preseason or whatever and he, he does have the 442 speed but again this is a guy who just wasn't in, as good in college as i think a lot of people are revising history to say like he did have a pretty great final year but he started out slow uh, he, the, the year, one of the first of the two years that he started at Michigan state, he headed into the fall, like barely beating out this guy, uh, Riley Bulo, who's a Bula, whatever is a linebacker now and, uh, was a fullback after he, after he narrowly beat him for that job. Um, I think he's a fine enough player or whatever, but when you take that like fourth, fifth round prospect profile and you combine it with his very poor rookie year numbers, it's like, I don't, I like 
I just don't see why so many people are are so sure that he's going to be good. Uh, I don't think Kadeem Carey is that great, but he was way better, way pr- more productive in college than Langford was. Jordan Howard, much better pure runner in college than Langford was, certainly. So I'm concerned about him having all the opportunities, just not really capitalizing on it. And, you know, it could start It's just like Langford's got seven carries for 12 yards today and it's third and one and and the, the bears are feeling the heat and they need this first down like they give jordan howard a try and it works so they try it again next time too and that's it he never gets the short yardage job back and that's all it would take to just tank his value because his value his 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 price right now is presuming that he gets that workhorse role if he doesn't have it then he's just not worth the price right now and i, I feel like that's a pretty significant risk yeah it does seem like that would take away it's kind of like when you have uh, Chris Ivory taking away close carries in close from a guy like TJ Yeldon. Yeldon may end up with more carries than, than Ivory this year. I could see that scenario unfolding, but Ivory might get more of the valuable carries. If he's cashing those in, that just eats away at the output of a guy like Yeldon. Same thing could happen in Chicago. And you're taking him five rounds earlier than Yeldon. Yeah, that's so, the other that's the other wrinkle uh, with that situation. One other item to get to Matt Forte saying he'll play in Saturday's preseason game against the Giants. Uh, we talked to Jeff Stotts during the XM show. He expressed some concern about Forte given his age, the nature of the injury and how long it's taken him to get back. I've got Forte in the stake league. I, I went a little cheap at, at running back and paid up at other positions. I'm OK with it, but I'm I am a little leery about him because Bilal Powell's good enough at what he does to keep Forte from being the workhorse we're accustomed to seeing him be in Chicago. I am pretty sour on Bilal Powell, actually. I feel like his, I don't think he's that good. And I feel like the narrative that he is good at anything in particular is kind of just off. Like, I know he had good pass catching activity last year, uh, but he had 63 targets and got 388 yards out of it. That's barely over six yards a target. Um, that's 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 not very good. And I I know he did pretty okay in terms of like per catch, I guess. But that that target efficiency needs to be up for him to actually be useful. And what what happens if that target count just drops? Um, either the, the the per target numbers have to go way up, or there's just there's a there's just not a proper accounting for value and cost in that case. So. I think Forte is way better than Powell. I can imagine Powell being there and having like a predetermined workload split just to keep Forte's injury risk lower and to keep him more, you know, ener- energized later in the year. But I, I don't really think Powell is there for anything much other than keeping Forte fresh. Like that, that's that's all I think he's really capable of. Even as he's never been that good in the NFL. Yeah, I mean that that's very fair i paul's had better chances in recent years than he's had this year but i I just he knows he knows the system right i guess that's one thing if you've missed as much time as forte like that could work against them early in the year yeah and like the thing is like you look at his past numbers too there's no explosiveness there at all like nothing and his per target numbers were bad before last year too he has three touchdowns on what his last uh 280 nine or 279 carries that's that's remarkably bad he 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 can't get away from a defense at all even the good case scenario with powell is that he just catches tons of passes and goes nowhere with it yeah that's just a volume ppr sort of 
spot play than I think more he's so. a low aspiration handcuff. Like just there's no upside to have there. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've seen some people get excited about him recently, so that's uh, it's a good take because I, I like I like it because it's a firm like just don't deal with like take the chance elsewhere. Like you can. You can wait longer and get guys with higher upside than Powell. Like like that's he, one of the main takeaways. Yeah, he does. He does provide some insurance, but if, again, I think it's such a low aspiration to aspire. Like it's it's like to aspire for to this guy who's going to give you what like uh, ten carries for forty two yards and six catches for like forty two yards and three touchdowns on the year in the good case scenario. I, I don't I don't get the value of that. Do you enjoy playing fantasy football for cash but are tired of the same game offerings or hosting sites keeping too much of the prize pool? If so, check out MaximumFantasySports.com. They offer a variety of season-long and DFS fantasy football leagues with features that no other website has, and they pay out 90% of the prize pool. Does your state prevent you from playing in a DFS league, and are you not interested in a full-season league? Well, MFS runs monthly fantasy football leagues known as four-week frenzy leagues that are available to you. Forget salary cap leagues and use the online draft for all of your full season and short-term leagues at Maximum Fantasy Sports. If private leagues interest you, register your own redraft and keeper leagues using options like in-game player changes, multi-team trades, team quarterbacks, bi-week rollover, and more. You can even run your survivor pools, confidence pools, pick'em pools, and squares pools for free at MaximumFantasySports.com. Join today. Uh, some other injury-related matters to pass along. Jordan Matthews thinks he'll be ready for week one. Uh, we asked Jeff Stotts about Matthews as well, and it seemed as though Jeff kind of expects Matthews to play, but not to necessarily be himself right out of the gates if that happens. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a concern just because his, his efficiency wasn't great last year, and you, you're worried about, or at least I'm a little worried about, the Eagles' offense transition in general. Obviously, they weren't functional last year, but still, introducing a transition scheme-wise can make the recovery recovery delayed that much longer. So uh, you would you would hope for you know as much of a traction gaining you know week one as possible, and it's like he might not be in the physical shape to do it. So I so my, my stake league team is looking pretty awful because I had a Dion Lewis who like it was like a six dollar buy or something as my like running back four, and I also have Jordan Matthews and Devonte Parker. So like I, I got a lot of uncertainty starting out this year. I would have I would have liked uh, one of Parker or Matthews to look more certain for me in week one, and it, neither is super reliable. It turns out at the moment. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny actually when you you look at that depth chart. It's, it's a mess. I mean, Doriel Green Beckham has all the talent in the world, but what is he on like his seventh chance as a football player? If you go back to college, it seems like, yeah. And the thing is that people have always overrated his talent. Like the narrative on him is just wrong. People have been saying like, Oh, he's talented enough to be the first overall pick. Never true. Like he was, he was called the number one recruit in his recruiting class because he had an incredible high school career at a, a relatively low level of competition. Um, and he just never was that good at Missouri. Never was. And then he didn't play at Oklahoma. And then he went into the NFL and he had an okay rookie year and then he got traded for scraps like nobody was apparently either either the titans only spoke to the eagles or there was no one willing to trade anything for that guy and that's there should be some insight in there it's like either the whole league is wrong or there's actually reason to worry that he's just not that good but yeah i i i, I do think matthews will be fine if only because i'm it, like agalor was a mess last year and i don't really have any hopes for green beckham um, and I do think Matthews is good, but uh, it, it might be kind of an ugly start to the year there. 
Yeah, and he's going to run with the first-teamers in the preseason game uh, this weekend, so we'll see if he's able to acclimate himself quickly. But I, I think there's plenty of reason to think he's still going to be feast or famine when he produces, and that offense could scuffle at times. I mean, I actually like Ryan Matthews a lot. It's something I've talked about almost ad nauseum for the last month because he's cheap. There's not a lot of competition for touches, and if they can keep games close – you don't have to really worry about him all that much. But aside from that, he does catch a lot of passes when called upon. So even though Sproles is there, some people look at Sproles and they think he's going to see 70 catches or something along those lines. I feel like that's just overly optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sproles, Sproles has basically no acquisition costs. So I, I understand why people kind of get excited about him, but it, it would basically take uh, Matthews probably playing like no more than 12 games for Sproles to get to 60 catches. And even that it's like, don't, don't you just, wouldn't you rather get Theo Riddick or something? Like, it's pretty, know. it's pretty similar in that you could also see Riddick with higher volume. Like at the, least as a receiver, like he can't run at all. He should just be moved to receiver Whereas Sproles can do a little bit as a runner, but like he hasn't been using that capacity for a couple of years now. I mean, how many carries would, would you expect Sproles to get week to week, like three to five? Yeah, I guess if Matthews is healthy, uh, maybe maybe something like seven to eight if he's not. Yeah, if seven to eight if they're going to rely on like Kenyon Barner and Wendell he's, Smallwood for larger roles. Smallwood over Barner for sure. Barner's not any good. People like, are getting a little excited about people, Barner because of the preseason. Love preseason football, man. I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's not great. Uh, Tyler Eifert has resumed jogging. Still on the pup list as of right now. I, this to me feels like a regular season pup list in the making, like realistically, I know that there's no indication from the Bengals of that yet, but he just started jogging Monday and uh, we're within what? 12 days now of season openers. Yeah. I, I've kind of like suppressed my memory of Eifert. If only because I'm, I'm like, so turned off by the whole situation. I don't even feel like thinking about it at all. Uh, it's, it's just feels like one of those things where the information is so imperfect that like, even if your judgment is right, like the rug can just get pulled out from under you anyway, because your judgment is based on things that you know, not like what actually things are necessarily. So I, I don't see the way to approach it in a way that's, you know, um, not liable to burn you pretty badly. Cause I haven't seen him going like that late in drafts. It's like in that NFFC when I did, I think he went in like the seventh round. I was like, no way I'm not taking him there. Um, even if he was, even if you were telling me he's only going to miss like three games, I'm not taking him there because you, you worry about re-injury when you come into the, to the to come into the season, you know, right off an injury like that, especially when he was hurt last year. So I'm, I'm not going to own him more than likely. And even if I were doing more drafts, which I don't think I will. We thought Eric Ebron was just broken during the lions uh, team scrimmage a few weeks back. He's been on the practice field this week, but he's missing time again. The Lions have been vague, referring to his injury as an ankle injury, not really hinting at the severity. It's easy to see the path for Ebron to be productive with Kelvin Johnson gone because somebody's going to have to pick up a lot of the slack in the red zone in particular. But I don't know, maybe Marvin Jones is just going to be that guy with Anquan Bolden there now as well. It could just be a lot more of a three receiver look for the Lions as opposed to Ebron having that breakout that some are expecting. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of three receiver and there's you're going to see a lot of a lot of catches for Theo Riddick and Amir Abdullah because like, that's just, if they're really going to go with this like up-tempo borderline, no huddle offense, and we know they don't have really the personnel to run that much. So it's going to have to be through the pass that they get most of those plays. 
Jones and Tate can't catch more than like, I don't know, 170 between the two of them. That's still going to probably leave like, I don't know, between Ebron, Bolden, Riddick and Abdullah after that, you can kind of imagine like 50 catches for Bolden and Ebron each, uh, 60 for Riddick and like 30 to 40 for Abdullah. Um, I think that is how we might see it turn out, but, uh, it could be one of those things where it's like when, or if Ebron's ready in, you know, full health, maybe it's just like Bolden's to the side immediately when that happens, but not before then. I don't know. Well, now it's time for our safe sleeper pick sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Mario, today's safe sleeper pick is Chris Thompson. You think about the Washington backfield so far, no real additions made from the outside. Matt Jones uh, dealing with a shoulder injury maybe will be available for the opener, but Thompson on a per carry basis, very explosive. He's already proven to be a viable pass catcher. He's got injury issues of his own. And as you were talking about this morning, they're much worse than the current ailments he's dealing with. He came off of shoulder surgery in January. Uh, He's got some knee soreness right now as well. But what type of skill set does Chris Thompson possess? If he gets an opportunity, could he have a monster sort of year? Yeah, so the the biggest concern with Thompson originally was actually he suffered a broken back at Florida State, um, and he he was injured a lot before then. But uh, he had he had an early success at at Florida State as a as a this is back in 2010. Now he was a sophomore. Uh, he had 846 yards on 6.4 yards per carry, six touchdowns on 133 carries. Was already showing the ability to catch the ball. His final year at, at Florida State, he had 91 carries in nine games for 687 yards at 7.6 yards per carry. So he's explosive for sure, and he can catch the ball for sure. Um, it's just that you would think Washington is very committed to kind of keeping his workload light. But uh, if they're in a situation where they just the alternatives or the means that, that they have of keeping his workload light are tantamount to forfeiting the game, then they're going to probably have to face you know, the scenario where it's like, well, we got to give Thompson more work than we think he can handle because uh, we just we don't want to forfeit. So that's the situation that I think they might be looking at if they really do put like, you know, all the eggs in the Matt Jones basket, because uh, I'm not convinced. Like, I'm, I'm skeptical of Jeremy Langford. I think Matt Jones is even is much worse of a prospect than Jeremy Langford was. Um, I, I think pretty much everybody views him that way and correctly. So I, I do see a, a possible scenario where Washington needs Thompson more than they thought they would be. Uh, you know, they, they thought they maybe they didn't need him, but that they might actually need him. It seems like the way that Washington's handled the running back position is right there uh, in terms of how puzzling it is with the Atlanta depth at wide receiver behind Julio Jones. You look at both of those teams and even in Atlanta's case, at least Mohamed Sanu is an established veteran who can be useful in the NFL. I mean, the Redskins didn't even go that far. Right. They, they're, they're like, like self certainty about Jones being good was one of the weirdest things I've seen in the last couple drafts. Cause you could tell Gruden, you could tell the GM were both just like, this is our guy. They took him in the third round, the bottom of the third round. I don't think anyone thought he was going to go before the fifth or sixth. And then they were just kind of like, yeah, we don't need Alfred Morris. And they tried all last year to give Jones all these chances to take over the starting role. And he just kept falling on his face. And 
I, I think that's just the way it's going to keep going. So, uh, yeah, it was weird to see a team be just like so sure of themselves, like putting, like attaching all their fortunes to this one player who nobody else thought was really any good. Um, at least with Sanu, it was kind of like, oh, he's an in-demand free agent receiver. Um, no one, like, I don't think anybody really wanted Matt Jones in that draft before like the fifth round. And Washington was actually like, hey, this is this is the answer right here. Just like in our drafts, it only takes one, one of their owner, one of their team to fall in love with a player to lock him in at a value or a price much higher than expected. But yeah, Chris Thompson becoming more intriguing as the time goes by with, without the Redskins adding a veteran back. Now, as teams are paring down their rosters, someone who's an upgrade for them may quickly become available and yeah. suddenly... I don't know. I'm just thinking like Jordan Todman, Robert Turbin type players. I'm not trying to just name Colts backs. They may have to keep <laughs> both of those guys, but players like that will become available. And you just never know which one will actually be the one that kind of catches the eye of a particular front office. Yeah. It's just like anybody just like some practice squad running back doesn't really matter. Like there's, there's a strong chance that they'll be able to do just as much or more than Matt Jones has done to this point. Like he's, he's done nothing. I just really want Keith Marshall to show well this weekend, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Something's, I don't know what's off with him, but something appears to be, uh, but yeah, it's like, like, like imagine if the giants cut Bobby Rainey, that's immediately, <laughs> it's like, immediately that's, would be the number one, like the number yeah, one guy. He's way, on their he's depth chart. way better than Matt Jones. <laughs> he's like fifth running back for the giants. I feel like I want to have shares of Bobby Rainey now because you like that, that connection makes so much sense, but then you have to realize we have it on good sources that Jay Gruden listens to this podcast and, and we just kind of solved his problem for him. <laughs> yeah. problem, Jay. I mean, one of is, is James Wilder jr. In danger of being cut by the bills. I feel like he would be better than what they have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't kept up with him in a while. I don't even know what he's, what kind of player he is these days, but uh, yeah, if, if they need just some big running back who looks curiously athletic for his size they can do better than matt jones john crockett not not a big running back but if the packers let him go i feel like i want to see someone give john crockett carries like i I want it to be the packers at some point but that's going to mean that eddie lacy's hurt or fat and (laughs) i don't want either one of those things to happen so you can't always get everything you want washington should just go back to roy helu welcome back the prodigal son they could bring would would he be their best option if yes, they did yes he would but he, he gets hurt so he's got a hip injury yeah, he so might actually be damaged goods but might be at the point where he can't really uh, do much uh, damian williams if he got freed up from miami I'm, that's the thing man it's like anybody i think can who's in the league radar right now can probably do like mike james at tampa Bay. T- tyler gaffney if he tyler gets cut. gaffney probably is better than matt jones it's it's like anybody. That's 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 why it just the, the the fixation with that Gruden and that GM, whatever his name is, have had on Matt Jones the last year, going back to his draft, is just one of the most fascinating things to me. Like I just it's it's like it's it's just like they just think he's the coolest guy in the world or something, and they just they just like him personally so much. David Cobb, the Tennessee Titans, let him go. Cobb is way better. <laughs> it's the, the the list is long, man. I don't think Jones will be more than like a backup on that team by next year. Keep it in mind as they make moves, whoever they pick up may end up being their best option based on what they've got right now. If they pick nobody up, Chris Thompson is a great sleeper pick. As we mentioned before, that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire fantasy football podcast sponsored by drive sober or get pulled over tag. And I are back with you on Monday. 
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.